This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org slash UT. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. At RUF, we really do believe that, um, that all of us are in need of a Savior. And so if this is your first time here and you're kind of nervous and like, do I even belong here? Should I be here? Yes, you are welcome here. Because here at RUF, we believe that the Bible teaches us that all of us have a great need for a Savior, which means that all of us are sinners. But we also believe that the Bible has good news. Good news about a great Savior for our need. So every night at RUF, we gather around God's word and consider if this is true or not. Because if it is, it changes everything. And college is such an important time for you to figure out what do you believe? And who are you going to be? And what are you going to follow? And it's just a privilege, uh, it really is, for us to be alongside y'all in that, wherever you are. Um, and, if you, and if you want someone to walk with you or to talk with you about that, we, we would love to do that in as non-threatening a way as possible. So um, hit us up, hit our, hit our staff up. Um, Daniel Wong here in the front corner. Nicholas, who you saw moving this board around for us. Mary Henley, Maria Caprio, or me. We, we would all love to meet with y'all. Um, we are talking about the fundamentals of following Jesus. And what we, we have covered so far is um, we talked about scripture for a, a few weeks. Um, that, that the Bible, we believe, actually is God's word to us and that it's true. And that it has authority for our lives. And if that's true, like, what does that mean? And then we've also talked about this biblical teaching called justification, the doctrine of justification. We said that justification is not the way that we get right with God. It's the way God makes us right with him. It's a work that God does by his grace and not by our own effort. But there's a natural question that comes after you've been considering justification, this way that, that God makes us right with him, that he saves us through the work of Jesus, by grace, through faith in him alone. The question then is like, so now what? Like, what do I do? What's the Christian life look like? What sort of expectations should I have for who I'm going to become? And that, that is the teaching of sanctification. We said that sanctification last week is... It's the way that God takes his adopted children that he's justified and he makes them like his only begotten son whom he loves. God takes his children that he's saved and he makes us like his only son, Jesus. So we're going to talk more about that tonight. Last week we talked about the aim of sanctification, that the aim of sanctification is to to make us more humble like Jesus. And tonight I want to, to look at the expectation of sanctification. What should we be expecting this is going to be like? So let me pray for us and then we'll get started. Actually, let me read from the scripture first and then we'll pray. Sorry. It's a short verse tonight. If you were here last year for our Leviticus sermon series, you're like, man, things are changing at RUF. Short verse. Here we go. Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Y'all, the grass withers and the flowers fade, 
that these words of our God will stand forever and they're given to you because he loves you and they're true. Let me pray for us. Father, we do ask that now um, as we consider your word and uh, we sit under it together, that you would help us to see more and more of who you are and how you love sinners like us. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to open by telling you guys um, kind of one of the craziest things that happened to me when I was in college. I've never told this story before. I'm excited to tell you all about this. So my friend and roommate for three years in college was this guy named David McLeod, who was a legendary prankster, and he was very proud of his pranking um, abilities when he was in high school, and he told us all about it in college, and this, the word kind of got out, and people would ask him to help them in pranks all the time. So our freshman year, he and I met through RUF, and there were these two older RUF girls who asked us if we would help them do a prank to their friend. So we were like, oh man, two older girls asking us to do this prank with them, let's go, let's do it, and feeling pretty, pretty good about ourselves. So. Uh, we didn't have cars. The girls, you know, they have to pick us up in front of our freshman door. <laughs> like, real cool, right? So they pick us up, and uh, as we're driving, they're like, okay, look, our friend is at a movie, and we just like, want to wrap her. It's her birthday. Or, like, you know, just do something fun for her while she's at the movie. Um, our plan is you guys um, wrap her front yard, or we'll wrap her front yard. You guys go around through her back. This is 2005. She's like, they're like, she keeps her back door unlocked to just go into her house and wrap the inside and you know, do funny stuff, whatever you guys think. You're the, you're the prank master, David. Like, just figure it out. We're like, great, sweet, let's do it. Where do they, where do they live? They're like, we're not sure. We're pretty sure she lives in this neighborhood, north of campus. We have the address. We're like, great, let's go. We show up to this house. It's like 10.30 at night. They're at the late movie. And the girls start wrapping the front yard. David and I grab some toilet paper. We walk. I will never forget this. I can literally see the picture of this in my mind right now. We walk around the back of this house into the house, through the back door, walk through the kitchen, turn left, and we see the dining room table, and it's covered in cash and white powder. And David goes, I don't think we're supposed to be here. And right then we hear, I'm going to give you the G-rated version of what we heard next, the voice of two large men saying, what are you doing in here? And they walk in, and we are clearly just, I mean, we're holding toilet paper like, <laughs> they, they walk in, and I mean, they're freaked out, because now we, we see like what's going on. They literally threw me against the wall and started shouting in my face. Dave, I'm like, I kind of just zoned out and was quiet, didn't say anything. It was just like, uh. David's like trying to explain to me, like, listen, we're Vanderbilt college students. We thought this was a girl's house and we were just coming to do a prank. You know, he's like telling the whole story. And they're like, no, I don't believe you. Like, yeah, what are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. And after like three minutes of them screaming at us, and I'm like shaking right now, think about it. After, the, after the three minutes of them screaming at us, we convince them to let us go, on, and, and they'll only do it under one condition. We have to give them our Vanderbilt ID, which at that time was like, that's the way you like got into your dorm room and got your food, and got, I mean, it was kind of like your lifeline. The, they made us give them our ID so that they knew who we were if they, if they like needed to come find us. I know. <laughs> so we, we wanted to get out of there, so we like give them our IDs. We run back around. The girls are like wrapping their front yard. And they're like, <laughs> they're like, how did it go? And Dave was like, about as bad as possible. Get in the car. We gotta go now. We get in the car, go back to our dorm room, 
Um, we, he and I weren't living together at the time, but um, I sat in my dorm room for like an hour, like digesting what had happened, so afraid, freaked out of my mind. And I went over to his room and like just wanted to talk to him about it. I was like, dude, how are you doing? I'm like, are we, like, are we gonna get beat up? Is somebody gonna come and like get us? And I'm not kidding, about 30 seconds later, we hear a, on, the, on the door of his dorm room. And David like stands up and he's like, hello? And these guys, the two guys, walk into his room and they say, is this David McLeod? And he goes, yeah. And they go, hey, my name's Brett. I go to your church. David had been pranked and I was in on it. And all of us started dying laughing at him, all of the blood that left his face. And he's like looking around, he's figuring out what had happened, that the prank had actually been on him. Now, I tell you that story Partially because I just, you know, I'm only going to be with you guys a few more times. I just want y'all to know the story. No, that's not why I told you the story. I told you the story because there's, there's a danger to, to not having the right expectations for what you're getting into. And throughout my time here at UT, I have, I've seen students who want to try out this Christianity thing. And they have very different expectations about what the Christian walk with Jesus is going to be like versus what the Bible tells them what their walk with Jesus is going to be like. So, um, like I said, I'm going to draw, do a little drawing tonight. Um, as you think about the Christian life, when you become a Christian, this is, this is what happens, okay? You, here's, here, here, let's do us. There's us. I'm, I got, I'm hoping people in the back can kind of see what I'm drawing here. Uh, I'm not an artist, but it'll, it'll be me because my nose is big. Um, all right, so when you become a, when, when you become a Christian, um, what happens is you become aware of this gap that exists between you and between God, okay? And the gap is that God is holy. You become aware of the holiness of God. And you also become aware of the weight of your sin. And when somebody realizes this, that they are a sinner in need of saving, and that God is holy, and because he is holy and just and right and pure and loving, he has to do something with sinners because he's good. And what he does is he offers us, one of the things he does that he offers us, is he offers us salvation through the person, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus' life and death on the cross, he pays for our sin that has separated us from God. And he becomes the bridge that unites us to God. Now, all of this is true. This is what happens when you become a Christian. Now, here's where I think our expectations get off the rails. Is when we begin to think about, okay, so what does sanctification look like from this point on? What does following Jesus for the rest of my life happen after I've been saved by him? Okay? Here's what I've observed in my own life and in some of yours. We begin to imagine 
that, okay, if I'm going to start following Jesus, I got to start doing better. So went to RUF. I got really fired up for Jesus. Became saved. So I decided I was going to work at a summer camp, a Christian summer camp. And there I like learned a ton, grew a ton. And I'm doing better in my faith. I'm reading my Bible more. I'm going to church more. I'm sharing the gospel with people. I'm going back to UT next, next fall. And I can't wait to get back there and tell everyone about who God is. But then you get back to UT and like things kind of start going back to your old habits again and you're struggling but you know you meet this cute bucks guy and like he's gonna help you and y'all are meeting and he's like doing a devotion with you and um but you know you you struggle some and you know you you stop reading your bible as much but generally over the whole course and trajectory of your life this is kind of what you're trying to do is get better and better at being holy Now, here's what I want you to think as we critique this together, okay? The person who is doing this, in a lot of ways, they have have good intentions. They want to get closer to God. They want to get closer to Him. they'll, They'll say, I want to grow in my faith, and this is what they imagine. That I'm doing better things, and I'm becoming a better person. Oh, let me open my notes here. Um, but here's what happens for that person. Do you remember what the bridge was that connects us to God? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who closes the gap between our sin and our holiness and God's holiness. And so for the person who believes that sanctification is fundamentally about them being better, this is what happens to Jesus over the course of their life becomes smaller and the cross becomes smaller and their need for Jesus becomes smaller and what this produces is self-righteousness by the way if you ever read the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John the books that Jesus inhabits the people he has the biggest problem with are self-righteous people that's who he rails against. He doesn't, he's not harsh with anyone but self-righteous people. But sadly, our view of sanctification often produces in us the very thing that God despises. It produces in... Because what, to the person who's here, how are they looking at everybody else that they perceive as down here? They judge them. They see these people down here as as beneath them, as people to be preached at. They see these people as needing to do better, like them. But also, here's what else happens. Jesus tells um, this story in Luke, or not story, but this happens in Luke 7, verse 47. A sinful woman a sinful woman in the Bible probably means prostitute comes in and begins weeping over Jesus. Um, she wets his feet with her hair. She pours out this expensive perfume, which probably would have been the perfume that she used to identify herself to her customers because women were very covered up back then. The way you were identified was by this fragrance that you had. She pours it out on Jesus and begins washing his feet with her hair. 
And the host of that party is a self-righteous guy. He's a Pharisee. And he looks at her and he, and he despises what's happening. And Jesus tells a story about these two servants, one who's forgiven a small debt and one who's forgiven a massive debt. One who's forgiven a small debt. And we know what Jesus says at the end of the story. He who is forgiven little loves little. This is what happens to us and to our heart for Jesus when we consider that our relationship with him and our growing closer to him is based upon our performance. We love him less over the course of our lives. Um, a, a Christian author and writer tells a story about going to um, teach at a college at a college class. And this is a Christian college. So everyone, most of the people that were in this classroom grew up in the church. They decided to go to a Christian college. And the first day of class, this professor gets up and he says, he writes this. I started, he said, I'm going to start the class. Oh yeah, give it up for Nicholas and Grant. They're going to flip this over because I'm going to do another drawing here in a second. Thank you, boys. You're my heroes. Also, Nicholas drove to some stranger's house yesterday in Round Rock and bought this for me, so... And noble. Double, thank you. And noble. Gilmore, thank you, noble. Okay. Here's what the professor writes. I started the class with an experiment. I told the class I was going to share the gospel of Jesus, but I was going to leave something out. I wanted them to figure out what I'd left out. So that's the test. He's going to tell them about the gospel of Jesus. What's he going to leave out? So I talked first about sin about how we are fallen creatures, told some stories and used some illustrations. I've talked about repentance and again told some stories. Then I talked about God's forgiveness and I talked about heaven and I went on for some time. And when I finally stopped for about 20 minutes and asked the class to tell me what I'd left out, not one student could answer what it was. Big discussion, talked for 20 minutes. What did I leave out of the gospel? Not one student could tell me what it was. I had left out Jesus. And I believe, he writes, I could repeat the same experiment in Christian classrooms all across North America. Now here's what I want you to know. Sanctification. God's work in your life throughout the course of your life. Sanctification will never produce a Christless Christianity. That is the opposite of what sanctification is. So let's consider the Bible's expectation of sanctification. Look again at the reading for this evening. Therefore, as you received Christ the Lord, so as you first received him, you realized you were a sinner in need of a savior. You had no way to save yourself. There was a debt that needed to be paid. There was a gap between you and between God. As you received Jesus, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The way that you progress in the faith is the same way you started in the faith. He says, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. The way that we receive him 
is by humbling ourselves before him that we couldn't save ourselves. It was only him. Only he can do it. We put our trust on him. And that's the posture we stay in for the rest of our lives. Posture of repentance and neediness. So here's what I want you to see. I'm going to draw, instead of, instead of John Trapp, here's, uh, here's the Apostle Paul. Okay? Wrote a lot of the New Testament. Uh, was one of the self-righteous people before God saved him. He was actually so self-righteous, he was going around killing people who were following Jesus. He was a terrorist, by the way. Like Saul of Tarsus, he later, his name was later changed to Paul. Saul of Tarsus was a terrorist to Christians. If Saul of Tarsus lived in West Campus, all of you would be afraid to be here right now. He was going, the Bible says, from town to town and entering people's homes. That means like not knocking, asking to come in. He's kicking down the doors, taking people away to be killed. That's Saul. So this guy, it, it's very interesting. Hold up. All right, there he is. Um, if you begin to chart out Saul slash Paul's understanding of his sin throughout the course of his life in the Bible, as he evaluates himself, there's something that you'll begin to notice. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 9, written probably around eighty fifty five. This is what he says about himself. I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So, his view of himself, pretty low. I'm the least of the apostles. Okay? That's 1 Corinthians 15. Now, the reason that that's pretty low is he's saying I'm the least, but he's also like, yo, I'm an apostle. Which means like, I am one of these guys who's been commissioned by Jesus to go and start the church, and he's given us all kinds of power to do that. And like, he's, his, his writing is scripture and authoritative. He's still a big deal. About five, seven years later, in 60, 62 AD, 60 or 62 AD, he writes Ephesians. Okay? In Ephesians 3 8, this is his self assessment. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. So his self assessment now is if you look at all the saints, which is like the Bible language for Christians. If you look at all the Christians in the world, I'm the worst. I'm the least. I'm the biggest sinner. That's his self-understanding of his sin. He gets to the end of his life. 1 Timothy 3.15 This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. Biggest sinner I know is me, he says. That's his understanding of his sin over the course of his life. And you chart it out from when he wrote these books and it's only going down. His self-understanding, his self-awareness of his sin is going down. And yet, here's what's funny. If you and I met him, like at the end of his life, I'm pretty sure we would be blown away by how holy he was and sink. This guy had written tons of the Bible. He had 
He was the most prolific missionary ever and still remains to be. He went all over the known world telling people about Jesus. He risked his life. He was shipwrecked. He was bit by poisonous snakes. He was attempted to be murdered multiple times. He was imprisoned. He did all of these amazing, heroic things for God. And yet he gets to the end of his life. This man who's talked about aiming at the fruit of the Spirit. So what is he becoming more and more of? He's, he's, he's more gentle, more faithful, more kind, more loving. And he gets to the end of his life and he says, I am the biggest sinner that I know. There is, he's not talking about the worst of the Christians. Of anyone that I know, I am in most need of God's grace. I've heard it put, my friend Matt Howell said, the holier you become, the less holy you feel. If you asked me, like 2007, recent graduate, John Trapp, like what my sin was like, like what's the stuff you're really struggling with? I would, I, I would have had a few things to tell you. It would have been like, I struggle with apathy, lust, and procrastination. Those are my struggles. If I were to tell you today, which I'm going to, I would tell you I'm impatient and easily annoyed, short-tempered with my wife and children. I idolize what people think of me and will alter my behavior for their approval. I care more about being perceived as someone who cares for issues of justice than I do about actually sacrificing for others' justice. I fear being discovered as a fraud and care more for self-preservation than for the needs of others. I take delight in the failure of others. I look to food to comfort me rather than to God. I don't do what I say that I'll do. I'm a self-righteous, irritable, phone-addicted, gossiping, anxious, idolatrous, two-faced, lying, fear-driven man. And here's the reality. I was all of those things in 2007. But I didn't, I didn't see it. God hadn't given me the eyes to see my sin and the depth of my need for Jesus. So one of the things that happens in your sanctification is that you begin to see more and more of how, sim- how simple you are. But the other thing that happens is your view of God's holiness goes like this. Your understanding of who God is. Am I spelling that right? Yeah. Holiness. Went to, went to seminary so I could spell holiness. There we go. Um, our view and understanding of God's holiness, his beauty, his divinity, his authority, his sovereignty, his power only increases. There's a great moment in, if, that, if you haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia, by the way, I read them when I was in college. It's a great thing to read over the summer. Highly commend Chronicles of Narnia to you. I know they're kids' books. I, read, I still read them to my kids, and I like cry every time, and my kids laugh at me. But they're amazing books. But there's a great moment, no spoilers, just a little moment, in the second book, Prince Caspian, where this sweet little girl, Lucy, who um, is back in Narnia, this um, world that they are taken to um, and their adventures happen. She's back in Narnia and Aslan, who's like the Jesus figure of Narnia, uh, who's loved them and cared for Lucy. 
Aslan appears to her. She sees him for the first time in the whole book. She'd had all this adventure with him in the first book. Now he appears to her in the second book. And this is what happens. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy. At last, the great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. He bent forward and just touched her nose with his tongue. His warm breath, breath came all around her. She gazed up into the large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That's because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are, she asked. I'm not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Growing as a Christian means that throughout our years, we see more and more how good and holy and righteous and loving our God is. So, here's the beauty of that. Because what sanctification is, is our life with Jesus from the moment he saves us until we die. And here's what happens to somebody who's being sanctified. Their need, their understanding of their need, I should say, their understanding of their need for Jesus grows. That's sanctification. Throughout the course of your life, your understanding of your need and dependence upon the Lord Jesus grows. Think about what Jesus said once again to this woman, this big sinner woman who has come in and she's weeping and she's a prostitute. And there's this self-righteous religious guy looking at her, looking down on her. And Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many are forgiven for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. She loved much. Why did she love much? Because she needed a big savior. And her savior was Jesus. She sees the depth of her sin. The goodness of God. So. Here's what I want you to know. Growing in your faith. Growing your faith means growing in your dependence upon Jesus throughout your life. That's what it is. The Christian life is all about the cross. It's all about the God who so hates. Listen to me. Some of y'all need to hear this tonight. God hates death. And he hates suffering. And he so hates it, he stepped into it. There is no other God like that. I'm telling you, there is no other God who stepped into the suffering of this world. There is no other God who suffers. He stepped into the suffering of this world to remove it. Who died to take it away. That's who this God is. And we need him for everything. Do you know what this will begin to do to you? Think about, for the person who sees themselves this way before God, how do, how do we treat others who aren't following God? As, as projects who are worse than us and need to like figure it out and get better? 
No. Because we're the chief of sinners. The way that we view other people who don't know Jesus is that we were just as much a lost cause, if not more than they are. And if God can rescue me, he can rescue anyone. It's a miracle that God saved me. I didn't deserve it. God can do miracles in your friends' lives too. But the way, here, it changes the way we, if you're a Christian, this changes the way you share the gospel with your friends. Because instead of telling them how, back of the, back of the board, how awesome you are and how they need to like get up on your level, you tell them how sinful you are and how big of a savior you need and how sufficient Jesus is to be that savior. That's how you share the gospel. So the focus isn't on them, it's on you and your need. And then you welcome them in to knowing this God, this good and gracious king. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, who wrote The Little Prince. I really hope I said that name right. I think I, I, I kind of nailed it, honestly. Um, he's a 20th century French poet and author. He writes this. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. You want to teach someone how to build a ship? Don't, don't just tell them to start collecting wood. Don't like give them a, a blueprint. Teach them to love the sea. How does God start to change us and to make us more like himself? He teaches us to love him because you become what you love. You become like what you love. And so here's the beauty is that this person, this person, do you know why they're going to read their Bible? Do you know why they're going to go to church? Do you know why they're going to seek out a place to have the sacraments that God has given them by his grace? Do you know why they're going to pray? Not in order to get better and closer to God, but because they need him. Because they depend on him. And because they believe that in his goodness, he's given them these really normal, regular things by which they can know him and experience him more and be reminded of his goodness. So sanctification does produce in us good works. But God doesn't ask us for our good works by telling us all the things that we need to do. He does it first by loving us and bringing us into his love. That's sanctification, and that's held out to you, to anyone who would follow him, to depend on him more and more every day for the rest of your life until he brings us home. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that, um, that it's all about your son, Jesus, and that you don't leave us to ourselves, um, to our own efforts to be better, but instead that you welcome us to depend upon you. And we pray that you would help us to do that more and more. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.